Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat, and the Penguins' five-game winning streak has come to a close. Of course, it did on Saturday evening as they fell to the Toronto Maple Leafs by a score of 4-1, to one. so we're going to start this show by talking about that, but we're going to talk about some positives a little bit later. We wanted to get the vegetables out of the way first, then we can get to the pumpkin pie. Hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. We can get to all the good dessert, which, you know, was the positive takeaways because the Penguins were on a five-game winning streak, so we're not going to be completely and utterly negative in this show. But let's start with that game against Toronto because I feel like the Pittsburgh Penguins, it can be summed up by just the fact that they went out and laid an egg, right? Yeah, people say there's a lot of negatives to draw away from that game. I, I mean, yes, there were negatives, Oh, yeah. Um, I'm chalking most of them up to, man, they were on the second half of a back-to-back. They, there's a Thanksgiving holiday in there, and they were playing what? That was their fifth game in, like, six days? Something was, stupid like that? It was that. their third in four, four days. Third and four. So, yeah, like, sixth in, or fifth in, like, seven days. That's a lot. Like, these guys were tired with not too many days off, with travel in between most of those games, if not all of them. Yeah, they just needed, they were just a little gassed, and it's okay to be a little gassed. It was a little egregious, some of those moves, but um, it's fine. Everything's fine. I was watching, because we played the Leafs, as I do every time I play the, play the Leafs, I watched the uh, Steve Dangle reaction afterwards. Uh, he said the that Penguins fans should be panicking. I chalk that up to the fact that that's somebody that hasn't paid attention yeah. and wanted to make headlines with that i don't like i don't i i, I can't stand him because he at this point it's makes it seem like he understands the entire league and pays attention to the entire league and he doesn't which is fine just don't don't say that you do yeah because because just a quick look that we are seven two and one in our last 10 and you immediately pull that statement back i don't even think he was trying to catch headlines i just don't think he pays attention like it's, no because to him what he saw was the maple leafs beating the crap out of the penguins at PPG Paints Arena to start that win streak and to end that win streak. He probably didn't pay attention to the five games in between, especially at, like, you know, we'll, we'll get into it, but, like, the Flames game, very impressive win for the Penguins. They did what they needed to do to beat the Flyers in a game where everybody on the ice was lackadaisical. You know, we'll get into it, but, like, that comment from him just proves that he hasn't really paid an iota of attention to the Pittsburgh Penguins outside of when they played the Maple Leafs. Right, and really, you're a Maple Leafs fan. You're not really supposed to. Fine, whatever. Yeah. But, I mean, just regardless. The game, I didn't pull that many negatives from just because they were so tired. Um, some things looked a little lazy, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And to be fair, the it's not like the players and coaching staff were you know, chalking it all up to them being tired. Um, Mike Sullivan did not have a very lengthy uh, post-game presser. It was like two and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bunch of short answers in there. Um, so it's not like they weren't happy. You know, it's they didn't want to take that loss. They wanted to extend their winning streak, but um, everyone did kind of talk about the yeah. It was it was like the, it was the second half of back to back with travel. We played a lot of hockey. There was some tiring there. Yeah. Uh, well, the Penguins fell behind right off the bat in that game. Of course, forty seconds in, Mitch Marner scores to extend his point streak. It was a horrid line change. Like that's the worst thing that you could see. From that entire game, yeah, the team as a whole did not play well defensively. They were egregious. I thought, 
Casey DeSmith did pretty good to keep the Penguins in the game as long as he did, especially against a really good offensive team in the Toronto Maple Leafs. But when you give up that goal 40 seconds in, when you get outshot 24 to 11 throughout the entire first half of the game and you're playing so poor defensively, you're giving up second, third, fourth chance opportunities, turn the puck over in your own zone. It was just a game in which, yes, if that continues, you can point to this saying, yeah, that's where it all started. But until that happens, I'm just going to look at this game as this is a blip on the radar. They had won five straight games going into it, and they lost to a really good team. And like you've mentioned several times, third game in four days, the second time that they have done that in a row. Last weekend, they also did three games in four days. They got two days off and did it again. So this week, they won't have any back-to-backs. Now they'll have three games in six days or something like that. But they'll have a day off at least in between each of them. And the schedule gets a little bit easier with travel because the Penguins will now play seven of their next ten games on home ice. Yeah, Jet, uh, Getzoff tweeted this morning that um, had to, heading into Saturday's game, they had played 14 of their 21 games on the road. Um, 11 of them were in back-to-backs. So, like, that would be – they were in the middle of their sixth back-to-back situation of the season. And they have nine more, by the way. Mm-hmm. And – a ton of their games, I think he said seven of them, came outside of the Eastern time zone. There was just all kind of, you know, not adversity, but just awkward scheduling that went into Saturday night that it was bound to just be a dud. And we hadn't had a dud, a real dud game yet. Maybe we had a couple. But that one was the one where it kind of stood out because it was on home ice. It was closing out of a losing streak. and And it came against a team that, um, we probably should have beat because they have a destroyed defense right now. They were also in the second half of a back-to-back. And we usually get that one dominating performance against them a season at home, and we just didn't. So mm-hmm. maybe the feeling was just off from it, and that could have been why as well. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not pulling too many negatives. I'm really not. Casey DeSmith, like you said, played great, by the way. All four of his yeah. goals can be chalked up to, hey, don't leave a guy alone. <laughs> Yeah, especially when, what, in two instances, one of them was was Mitch Marner and one of them was Austin Matthews. The other one was like, William Nylander. Like... Yeah, so you're you're giving their best players the best opportunities of the game, and sometimes that happens. And, and here's what I look at that game as. Obviously, we, we've mentioned a couple times, we're going to look at it. It's a bad game. Chalk it up to that. But the Penguins look to outscore their problems, and they brought that approach to Saturday, I I felt like, because they weren't going to work hard enough to play the defensive game that gets them those victories the way that this team is constructed. They weren't going to play that game, so they said, all right, we're going to have to outscore our problems, and the only goal that went in was was Ricard Raquel. So that's going to be an issue, and especially when you're playing a team like Toronto, who if you give them copious amounts of great opportunities, which the Penguins did, they're going to cash in eventually, even when your goaltender is playing as well as Casey DeSmith was. So the Pittsburgh Penguins, it didn't look good. It ended the win streak, but they need to get back up on the horse, as we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. They got a couple of really good teams coming to town this week for the remainder of this five-game homestand that they're in the middle of right now. Yeah, it's it's a good stretch coming up that they have for them. There's some good teams, but it's a great opportunity for them to really take advantage of everything because like i said that gets off tweet he followed up with what they have coming up and that is five straight home games none of them outside of the eastern time zone and six of the next 15 are against the metro so mm-hmm. they're all big important games we are we're going in, going up against the hurricanes next i think we're only a point behind them 
or tied yes. with them, something like that. It's uh, yeah, some they're they're right behind the Hurricanes in the standings for third in the Metropolitan Division right now. Yeah, so suddenly all of a sudden we have importance. I mean, it's there's still a lot of time left up still, but uh, it's important seeding games as well, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the Pittsburgh Penguins at the end of the day, when you look at it, considering where they were at two weeks ago in the midst of a seven-game losing streak, one of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference. They are now fourth in the Metropolitan Division and right in that playoff race. I know it's only a quarter of the way through the season, but you don't want to be out of it. You want to be in it. And considering the Penguins have gone through that seven-game losing streak, bounced back on the other side of it, and have put themselves back in business to be a team that is talked about for the remainder of the season, that's where you want to be following that horrid stretch there in early November. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, let's get into the positive takeaways from the past week because it wasn't all that Toronto game. We just wanted to get that out of the way first. Now we can talk about some positives here on the tip of the iceberg. We'll be back right after the break. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. The Penguins' current streak is L1. They've lost one game in a row. It is what it is. You're not going to win every single game. Nobody's going to be the New Jersey Devils and win 13 straight. Nice five-game win streak. Nice feather in your cap if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins. You move on. But we do want to talk about some positive takeaways from this past week. There's been three games, really, since we actually recorded an episode And one of those games was the Thanksgiving Eve game, the Thanksgiving game, as I like to call it, against the Calgary Flames. That was a fantastic night for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, it might not seem that way because they only scored one actual goal in the game, but they came out flying. You got the Jan Ruda goal. Is he a sniper? I guess it sometimes he can be. But that game was really all about Evgeny Malkin, as were both games last week between that and the Chicago game. Of course, you had the 1,000th game ceremony, despite it being 1,001, which confused a lot of people. A lot of great things for Evgeny Malkin, a lot of great moments that were re-recorded, a lot of great video messages. But then in the game, you thought you were going to have, okay, he's going to, he got an assist there. It was a nice assist, but oh my God, was that far, far off sides on the Brian Rust disallowed goal. Jason Zucker was still at the faceoff dot. And you could see, it was it was comical, because you could see the linesman, he put his hand up, and he put his hand back down when Malkin got on sides, and he was like, oh, oh no. Oh no, there's somebody. There's somebody way off sides, and I missed that call. Hopefully nobody scores. Of course, the Penguins did, and then they, they overturned it immediately. Um, you thought that was going to be his moment, and then... He ends up getting it in the shootout. Shootout winner, beautiful shootout goal. We talk about sometimes, you know, Sid came in, just shot it over the glove. Uh, But Evgeny Malkin said, you know, I have a flair for the dramatic. And although I'm going to bury this shot in the top shelf, I'm going to make that look easier than throwing a stick over the glass. As it took him multiple, multiple tries to uh, do the stick toss into the crowd. But a great night 
for Evgeny Malkin against the Calgary Flames, and a great win for the Pittsburgh Penguins on that night. It was a great win. It, it, who cares who was game 1001? It was <clears throat> where the ceremony was happening is where all the video messages were happening. It was the game everyone wanted to see and be around, and who cares if he only scored one goal? It was um, a good because there are other positives to draw. Tristan Jari played a great game, and you know what? I took a lot from that shootout because we were god-awful in the shootout last year. Yeah. And the fact that Jari was able to at least – yeah, he let in a couple on the shootout, but make the important ones, and then we switched up the lineup for it. Mm-hmm. Mike Sullivan, finally. But we're finally taking Crystal Tang off the shootout, it looks like. Sure, you're going to keep Sid. You wish he would do a little more, which he did. Fine enough. He scored. Jake Gensel should be staying out there, but Ricard Raquel getting out there is very nice. And – if Mike Sullivan can hold on to the gut feeling he said he had with Evgeny Malkin, yeah, we can be successful in the shootout. Again, I get it's like the worst part of the game these days. Yeah. But if, you, if you're if you going to have it, you may as well utilize it to the best of your advantage and put out your best options, which would be at this point, really, Gensel Crosby. I like Raquel. That was fun. Malkin still has it. And who else is a shooter these days? Jason Zucker, maybe? Like, Brian Rust? I would go with Brian Rust. Yeah, Brian, Brian was... Rust has always been really good in the shootout, and especially penalty shots for some reason. I just remember him scoring at least two or three really big penalty shot goals. The one was uh, in the middle of a hat-trick game that I was at. I just can't remember who they played in that one. Uh, that's his only penalty shot goal, then. It was Ottawa, 8-5 to five victory. Yeah. And, yeah, other, okay. other than that, though, yeah, I mean, he's... It must, it must be shootout goals, then, because I remember him going in a couple of times. He's... Damn near perfect on shootouts. I thought because I can remember last season always calling for it. Every time we're in the shootout, like, why is Brian Russ not out there? He's missed like twice in his whole career. He doesn't get many yeah. options or uh, opportunities, but still. That was my biggest takeaway from that game, though. Like, yeah, the Malkin stuff was impressive, but it was finally utilizing the proper method of a shootout. It is mm-hmm. the guys that you feel that game are going to score. That's not going to be Crystal Tang night after night, man. It's not. It's that, that time has come and gone. I get that the freshness of the shootout is also come and gone oh yeah but it's still something that you're gonna have to go through you're gonna have to play with it and if Tristan Jari can make the right stops like he did and then you know like I said Ricard Raquel seems like a good option and then Drosby's gonna stay out there Hmm. and then throwing Evgeny Malkin out because it was the gut feeling yes that's the way you handle a shootout Mm -hmm. yeah I will say this that was a phenomenal moment in Evgeny Malkin's career. We saw all the replays, but that's going to be one of the moments that, hey, in his 1,001st game, big celebration, his night, he goes out there and scores a really nice shootout goal. But I still hate the shootout. I, I still think it's a horrible way to to determine a National Hockey League game to award a, a standings point. But I, I will concede that that will be one of, the, one of the moments that goes into his highlight pack at the end of his career. Yeah, big moments are drawn from the shootout still anyway. I mean, Sidney Crosby was a rookie in his first one, and it was, that one's going to be stapled into his highlight packs forever. Mm-hmm. Um, there, and I'm sure there's a couple more that I'm just forgetting. The, the really long one in New York against Washington, mm-hmm. Malik. Uh, I mean, it still draws moments. No, they're all yeah. old now. But yeah, no, I, I would say most of the moments, I mean, the Crosby in the winter classic that that's obviously a, a historic one. They're all old though. Like they, there's not very many moments in the shootout anymore because one they've over, they've over dramatized it. Like they, they've also over, I don't want to say overruled it. They put too many rules in it. Like you can't do a spinorama. You can't stop. Like you started to just 
suffocate the entire thing. And I don't want to get too deep into a shootout because I still think it's it's something that you just need to get rid of as, as a whole. Maybe do a second overtime. I bring back freaking ties, honestly. I'd rather see ties than shootouts at this point because I think that's it, it's just an awful way to determine uh, an extra point. But nonetheless, great moment for Malkin. Great win for the Penguins there. I want to move this conversation over to the Penguins' penalty kill because I really don't think enough people have actually been talking about it. Horwat, if you had to guess, I don't know if you have the numbers ahead of, in front of you. If you had to guess, where do the Penguins currently sit among the NHL in penalty kill? Last I looked, it was 11th. Yeah. That was before the game in Toronto. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was before, at least. Um, last I looked, they were 11th, and it was like 80-something percent. Like 80-point-something yeah. percent. They're ninth in the National Hockey League on the penalty kill right two now. Spots. They are They are top 10 in the NHL, in penalty kill. Now, this could be because of a multitude of reasons. This was a unit that was dead last in the NHL at one point earlier this month and was inept. Like, let's just say it that way. They were not good. They were giving up goals in every single game. They were struggling in the kills that they didn't give up goals. They were really bad. And all of a sudden, they're thriving. They're one of the most reliable units on the ice for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, there is one one thing that has happened and changed that has kind of been the, the big determining factor, but I think there's also a multitude of reasons as to why this penalty kill is as good as it is. I will say this and start off this conversation with this. Since Teddy Bluger has returned, the Penguins have not given up a goal on the penalty kill. They are a perfect 17 for 17 in his seven games. Now, Teddy Bluger himself, I thought, has been been very good since returning. Four assists in seven games. He's gotten more opportunities for that fourth line. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. The fourth line had a game and won the game against the Philadelphia Flyers for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think Bluger has been a tremendous help to the bottom six and even more so to the penalty kill, which is now top 10 in the National Hockey League. Uh, it's they've looked so good that perfect 17 for 17 uh and i and i bet i can guess your second reason why it's why it's popped up is it that casperi capitan has not been on it i wasn't gonna bring him up but yeah sure i think that's part of it as well let's just be honest with ourselves casperi capitan has not had a great year and we were experimenting with him on the pk granted i think we we and you were saying before the season started uh, yeah, that would be a good option because he's not going to score on the power play, and he was a good penalty killer in uh, in Toronto. Mm-hmm. But again, we see he's just not having a great year. I see everyone took kindly to Brian Metzer's comments um, from last episode uh, wow. from the Moneyball thing. That's lovely. I hope everyone listened to the whole episode, not just that part. Um, but yeah, I think that could also be a reason for it he hasn't been good this year and taking him off of it just improves the penalty kill mm-hmm. yeah because Perry Kapanen hasn't been good in any areas of the game which is why he hasn't played uh, he's played one game in basically the last three weeks and it doesn't look like he's going to draw back into the lineup anytime soon for the Pittsburgh Penguins I was going to go with not only is is it Bluger because Bluger is a tremendous penalty killer he's a great center that wins face-offs he blocks shots he's sure-handed with the puck but the goaltending has come around as well. Oh, yeah. uh, we, we can't completely blame it on the on the guys that don't have the big pads on because Tristan Jari, dealing with physical injury or not, he was struggling during that stretch to make any saves, especially when he was the team was on the kill. Casey DeSmith was the same way for a while. Both goaltenders have come around very, very well. Tristan Jari's last three games, 
were really, really impressive. Casey DeSmith, we talked about it, had a good game against Toronto, but got no help and didn't give up a goal on the penalty kill. So there's that as well. But both goaltenders as well. You have Teddy Bluger, the goaltenders. And I'll also say, when the Penguins get the puck, I don't know if it's because Teddy Bluger is instilling this in the other guys there, or if this is something that Mike Volucci has been preaching at practice. I don't know. You've been there. I haven't. But sure-handedness and making sure that you clear the zone the second you get the puck. Not just, hey, I'm going to whack it and, and hopefully it goes out, but making the smart play. If that's not sending it out yourself or trying to send it through three guys, but just making a quick pass to your fellow penalty killer who has a more open lane to get the puck down the ice, I've seen a lot more of that. A lot more smart plays and not panicked plays from the Penguins penalty kill, which is a great thing to see, which I think is also leading to this really good stretch that they've been on in the last seven games. Yeah, it's a little bit more wise decision-making. It's not just it's on my stick, whip it. No, to take take a glance, make sure there's no one around you, make sure you have the right path. If you need to pass it off, I mean, that's what we were doing. I think that may have been what we were doing a lot at the beginning of the season was passing it off to someone else to try and get it out because you felt pressured or you felt there wasn't a good chance. And that pass off would just ruin it. So, yeah, it's definitely just better decision-making. And the goalie thing is also right. I mean, no matter who is skating in front of you, your goalie is the uh, most important penalty killer on the ice because he is the one literally stopping the shots. Um, So, yeah, whatever Tristan Jari went through, I don't think he is anymore. I mean, he's given up two goals in the last three games. Mm -hmm. So that's a good start. Um, And then... Uh, Casey DeSmith, yeah, played pretty good. <clears throat> like we said, played played pretty good against Toronto. Just didn't get the help. And looked good in his previous two. I just don't exactly remember them. Uh, but he's looked fine. So, mm-hmm. yeah, your goalies are your most important penalty killer. Um, and just the decision-making is there now. It's much smarter. And, mm-hmm. you know, it seems to be that this uh, personnel group is finally clicking. I think... That's what all the coaching staff was talking about during the uh, <clears throat> poor parts of the season is this penalty kill is going to come around. We're still trying to flesh it out because it was a bunch of new guys. You know, It was a bunch of new faces. It was Josh Archibald, Ryan Paling. They were experimenting with Kasperi Kapanen and Marcus Patterson got some time out there. Mm-hmm. And now it's those guys still minus, minus Kapanen plus Bluger, and it's flowing nicely. They're making all the stops. 17 straights, nothing to scoff at. Top, not, top 10, I didn't realize that. Yeah, top 10 in the National Hockey League in the penalty kill. If I would have said that six weeks ago, a lot of pit, well, I guess six weeks ago would have been the beginning of the season. If I would have said that three weeks ago, a lot of people would have looked at me and said, yeah, I don't just see how it's going to happen. And I listen, I'll, I'll say it. When we said Teddy Bluger was getting ready to come back, I said, yeah, this will help the penalty kill, definitely, but it might only be enough to make it from 28th to 23rd. They're going to need a lot more than that to get better. Well, Bluger has made a bigger difference than I had mentioned but also goaltending sure-handedness with the puck everything has started to click for them which is why with the addition of Bluger they've bumped up to top 10 which is a really good thing because even though you don't have the power play clicking on any cylinders at least you have one special teams unit that is doing it for your team another unit that was doing it for the Pittsburgh Penguins how about the fourth line having a game against the Philadelphia Flyers I understand that the Flyers are bad I get it I know that this is a team that is in a full-on rebuild. It's a very young team that is basically going to win games only if Carter Hart says they will win the game. But if you need every once in a while your top six guys to not have to carry the load offensively, at least do it against those bad teams. 
just you, those are the teams you should be excelling at. Your bottom six should be better than their top six. Now, I wouldn't say that that's where we were at on Friday against the Philadelphia Flyers, but three goals from the fourth line against them. One by Archibald, his fourth of the season. Two by Ryan Paling, his third and fourth of the season. You need more of those games from time to time. It was just very nice to see it against the Flyers. That group just looks so fun. I don't know how else to put it. Like, yeah, they're not going to score all the time. They can't, it, it, But that four, the combined for seven points, that seven-point night between the three of them was a long time, <clears throat> long time coming for them because they just looked to be um, – they look fast. They look like they're getting – opportunities and not giving any up. I think in that same game, I forget what it was. I forget who tweeted it or where I saw it. There was like two shot attempts against them mm. through like two periods or something. This team, like that line is, it's, I want to compare it to the Bluger who's still there, Aston Reese and Tandem line, which I think at this point it, it's getting there. It's not there yet, but it is damn close just because they're three guys that aren't going to carry the load offensively. You don't expect them to be great defensively, but then here they are. I mean, no one's sticking up to Aston Reese's defensive numbers. Yeah. But the fact that Josh Archibald is single-handedly taking over his hit numbers and uh, looking a lot faster doing it, mm -hmm. um, he's there's like that sort of replacement there. And then while Tanev is just an energy guy and Paling doesn't really bring that, it's a different form of a bottom line that uh, should mm -hmm. get it's soon enough the same cult-like status because that's <laughs> incredible what they're doing they do they look fun they look fast and no one's scoring against them and if they're collecting opportunities like this expect them to have a couple more nights like that yeah yeah the penguins are going to need it definitely because the third line isn't providing very much spark uh, at all brock mcginn's shine of his uh, brocket richard race there for about a week or two that was fun uh, has worn off it was fun uh, but that third line needs another spark. And uh, I wouldn't take anybody off the fourth line. And I certainly wouldn't put Kasperi Kapanen in. So it has to come within uh, those three guys on the third line. But the fourth line, I'm glad you mentioned that it's not going to be the same way as uh, Aston Reese Bluger Tanev. Because this line will never be that. Because those just aren't the same players. Like, they don't, they don't do the same things. There's nobody, as you mentioned, that is going to ever be as good defensively as Zach Aston Reese. Um, and there's nobody that's going to be offensively is, is, is powerful as a guy as Brandon Tanev. I know he didn't do too much, but he had some weird sense of scoring the big goal uh, that I, I don't see with, with Paling or with Archibald. But listen, Josh Archibald right now, we're a quarter of the way through the season. Both of these guys are on pace for 16 goals. Now, are they going to get there? Probably not. I mean, Paling had to score two in one game to get onto that pace. But listen, if these guys can put together 10 to 12 goals each, and play that defensive style. That's the thing. The Penguins, every time, every once in a while, you're going to want a game like this. But for the most part, it's just go out there, wear the other team down, and don't give up anything. Spend time, like, that. that's the thing about that Aston reese bluger Tanev line. They didn't always have offensive punch. But you know where they were always playing? That's in the offensive zone. They were good at cycling the puck, protecting the puck, and keeping the other team in the defensive zone which is exactly what you need from them. Now, I don't think that we've seen enough of that from Paling and Archibald and Bluger, but also these guys have only been together for six or seven games. So we'll see what they're able to do as time goes on, but Friday certainly an encouraging performance from them, and they've definitely been trending in a positive direction. Uh, speaking of trending in a positive direction, and I will knock on every piece of wood around me, crazy stat posted by 
at NHL Injury Viz on Twitter. And uh, most people have seen it by now, but I just wanted to, to mention it. This is the first six-game stretch for the Pittsburgh Penguins where they have had no injuries. Again, knock on every piece of wood in my arm's reach. After the show, I'm going to knock on every piece of wood in my apartment. First six-game stretch at full health since 2001. Now, they did it once in the postseason in 2012-13, but that is still a decade ago, Horwat. One decade since it happened at all, and over two decades since it's happened in a regular season. Great for the Penguins. They're finally getting a little bit of injury luck. Let's hope that consists. And again, absolutely crazy stat when I saw that. I would like to know how many teams, like, because that... Because of how long ago that was, I would like to know how many teams also have similar injury issues. Like, what's, like, the second Like, Is that the longest one? Is there, like, a second longest? Like, how bad is, like, every team's injury luck? Because that 20 years, 20-plus years Mm -hmm. since we've been able to have a consistently healthy lineup for six games. Six games. Okay. That's not that much. No. Like we, like we just said, that was, six games was a week and a couple days ago. Yeah. <laughs> That's not long, man. So I, I'd like to know what other st- what other teams look like with that stat, but that's just so brutal. That's before the Crosby-Malkin era. That's, what, Lemieux's return season? Yeah. Was he, was he part of that? Was it, like, his first game on that we counted this? Like I have no idea. Like, I didn't go back and actually look at that. I, I don't want to look at all 82 games from that season to figure out which one it is. But, I mean, that's... Oh, man. Literally, this streak, if you would to call it that, this streak of bad injury luck was old enough to drink. God. Good in the Lord. regular season. That's... There's something impressive about it. It's just how <laughs> injured we have been over the years. I mean... I don't know what else to say about it. Yeah, no, there, there's not much to really delve into with yeah. that. It's just ridiculous. Like, And I, I wanted to not go, because like, not everybody that listens to the show is also on Twitter. So I wanted to bring it up for those that didn't see it. And that is, uh, it's just a ridiculous stat. Uh, but let's talk about the Pens and Hurricanes. We've talked a lot about what has happened in the past. Let's talk about what's about to happen in the future. Of course, three games this week, all on home ice. You got the Canes, you got... The Vegas Golden Knights, and you got the St. Louis Blues. That is a tough, tough stretch. Starting off with a Metropolitan Division matchup against the Carolina Hurricanes, the first Metro game at home for the Pittsburgh Penguins this year. Last season, the Pens went 1-1-1 against the Canes. But if you look at the way the Hurricanes have been playing, they've struggled in their last five games with a record of 1-1 and four overtime losses. Uh, Just can't get over the hump in the last couple of ones, but they just snapped their five-game losing streak with a victory in their last one. Horwat, when you see this matchup, the Carolina Hurricanes are such a fun, dynamic team to watch. They're an offensive juggernaut. They're sneaky good and sneaky talented on the back end, despite being very, very injured right now. And it doesn't matter who's in net for them. They seem to always just play above their potential. It was Mrazek for those years. It was Reimer for those years. Uh, Freddie Anderson was great. He's now injured. But now it's Pyotr Kochetkov. So what do you think about this Canes team and this matchup between them and the Pens? It's a fun matchup. It's one of those interesting matchups that it's good seeing... I mean, let's just take it way back here. It's good seeing Little Brother finally doing something here. Um, (laughs) But they've built a very strong team that year after year... I mean, they still don't have the playoff success to really 
fully be given this title. But year after year, they're cup contenders, it seems. Everyone kind of places them as up there in the Final Four, into the into the finals, stuff like that. Um, they still need to really prove that they can do it in the postseason to be you know, given full lights for that. But mm-hmm. um, they're a hell of a regular season team that can outscore you. They can outdefend you. And, like you said, with their goalies, they now have consistent goaltending. I mean, it's been an interesting trek of goalies for them. I mean, Cam Ward carried the load forever and ever. Yeah. But now it is guys that you can actually look at and go, yeah, they're better than Cam Ward, and they were getting good production from Cam Ward over the years. Yeah. So now they have a good team in front of them, good goaltending. It's a scary team. Can they do it in the postseason? But that's not what we're here to talk about. Yeah. It's, yeah, th- this will be the first game for the Canes of a six-game road trip that actually goes out to, to California. So they have their bags packed for a long trip. They would like to get it started off on the right foot. But when I look at this matchup, I think this is going to be a game where the Pittsburgh Penguins, they played horribly on Saturday, especially at 5-on-5. Five five. They need to not do that against this team. Statistically, the Carolina Hurricanes are in the top three in the National Hockey League in all major analytical areas. They're first in shot attempts percentage at 61. They're second in expected goals for percentage at 61%. They're second in scoring chances for percentage at 60%. And they're third in high danger chances for at 56%. So not only are they that good with everything, what was one of the biggest issues on Saturday, Horwat? The Penguins didn't shoot the puck. They didn't get enough opportunities. Jason Zucker was, for the first time all season, one of the biggest... One of the biggest issues with it shooting the puck. He passed up on shots just to pass the puck and try to make the perfect play. That's not what the Penguins are going to be successful doing this year. And against this team, the Carolina Hurricanes, who are first in the National Hockey League in shots allowed. They have allowed the least amount of shots of any other team. You cannot afford to pass up open looks at Kochetkov if he's in the net or Ranta if he's in the net. Because these guys don't give you enough opportunities for you to pass up when you get them. No, they don't. You have to take advantage of your opportunities. You have to come out strong, too. You can't just lay an mm-hmm. egg in the first period and call it, call it a day with five shots in 20 minutes. But uh, speaking of, 11 minutes in between shots four and five. Um, you have to get on top of them early. You have to take full advantage of every chance you get. doesn't matter who it's against, <clears throat> whether it be in net or through the, through the skaters. It's... If they make a mistake, you have to capitalize because they're not going to make many of them. And you also have to create your own create your own opportunities because they're not going to give you any. So mm-hmm. it's a matter of just playing like a better team and bouncing back the proper way after, uh, after Saturday. Now, the Carolina Hurricanes are dealing with a lot of injuries. I'm not sure if any of these guys are slated to come back, but from what I've seen... A lot of these guys are are on longer-term injuries. Jake Gardner on the backside, uh, he's somebody that has been missing a good amount of time. Max Pacioretty has yet to make his debut with the Canes since coming over from Vegas in the summer. Tavo Taravainen is out. Andre Kasha is out. And obviously, Freddie Anderson is out as well, which means you're either going to see Antti Ranta, who tends to play pretty well against the Pittsburgh Penguins when it's not in the postseason, and also Pyotr Kochetkov, who we all remember from last year's playoffs, came in as the third-string goalie, helped them get through the first-round series, and then just 
ran out of gas against the uh, the New York Rangers. But just signed to a four-year extension in Carolina. It seems like Kochetkov could be one of their answers going forward. So you might get to see uh, the young, I believe, Russian netminder on Tuesday. Yeah. It, <clears throat> yes, Russian. And, you know, he seems like he could be the future there. He's only 23, signing a four-year deal. Yeah. Taking him out to the 26-27 uh, season and... Yeah, he's in on emergency loan right now, but uh, you don't sign someone on an emergency loan to that kind of deal if you don't have high high hopes in him. He's going to be the future of that team, I think, and that uh, it's a matter of what who he plays with, though, because um, Frederick Anderson and Ranta are both in the final year of their deal, so that's a little bit of a interesting concept for I forget the GM now, Don Waddell. Yeah. Yeah, Don, but, but we know Don Waddell is going to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what they're able to do, but those injuries have just you know made their stars better, it almost seems like. Sebastian Ajo, Marty Natchez, and, and Andrei Svechnikov. They're the guys you're going to want to watch because they're the most exciting guys on the ice for them, but they're also the guys that you have to be careful about because those guys can all go off at any given moment. You know, Stalzy's always great, but at this point in his career, he, he's more of a defensive leaning forward. He always tends to have a good game against the Pittsburgh Penguins, Jordan Stahl, that is. But it, it's literally those three guys. And Brent Burns is the number four scorer on their team. I mean, he's somebody that a lot of people are forgetting. Yeah, Brent Burns plays for the Carolina Hurricanes, and he's kind of had a resurgence, similar to what Eric Carlson is having in San Jose, but uh, Burns doing it with another franchise. So you got to keep an eye out for for this team just because they're one of the most well-balanced, even with these injuries, they're still one of the most well-balanced teams in the National Hockey League. They have Stefan Nason scoring power play goals for them. They're balanced. (laughs) Exactly. So... Penguins will take on the Carolina Hurricanes later in the week. They'll take on the Vegas Golden Knights and the St. Louis Blues. We will discuss that on our Thursday episode. But what we're going to do right now is take a quick break when we return our weekly Pens Poll. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Uh, we've talked ad nauseum about the Evgeny Malkin 1000th game, looking back on the history of Malkin, some of the best moments of Evgeny Malkin, but we're going to do one more uh, before we move on from this and go to the next to the next big storyline in the Pittsburgh Penguins season. We asked last week, who was Evgeny Malkin's best linemate, excluding fellow two-headed monster Sidney Crosby so we asked that the the options that we put out there were James Neal Phil Kessel Brian Rust and other Uh, we had four percent for other but nobody answered so we're just going to ignore that Um, but James Neal won the poll in a close one 46 percent said James Neal was the best Evgeny Malkin linemate 42 percent said Phil Kessel and Brian Rust which I think was a little bit uh, a little mean you know for Brian Rust only getting eight percent of the vote I understand Kessel and Neeler. Oh, yeah. In their heights, very, very talented. Um, but, you know, I thought Brian Rust deserved a little bit more. You know, a little bit of disrespect for Rusty. Yeah, you're right. But you have to figure, <clears throat> whenever there is only one correct answer, I don't know, if he's not getting any votes, so be it, because James Neal was the only correct answer. Love Phil Kessel, too, but, I mean, come on. It wasn't just the fact that they were great, that Malkin and Neal were great players together. 
it just how much fun they had playing together and how just they became friends all the t- all throughout their <clears throat> tenure together and, and mm-hmm. uh, teammate ship, I guess. I don't know. They became friends. And it was a f- ton of fun watching Malkin always call him lazy. Watching James Neal always call Malkin lazy. Um, to the point where I was looking for old tweets for the uh, for a story at Malkin. I just went to Malkin's account, searched the word lazy, and then eight tweets at James Neal popped up. <laughs> so, yeah, those two were best of friends, always interrupting each other, and it, it, that's the only answer that really matters here. Phil Kessel's great, yeah, but, I mean, when you think of Phil Kessel with the Penguins, you remember those two arguing more or less, and then you remember the HBK line over Kessel sharing a line with Malkin. So, eh, I got to give it to James Neal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if if you look at this, you could look at this poll two different ways. And somebody actually even asked in the uh, in the comment section is is this the best player overall or just the best chemistry? And I, I think that you could answer it in two different ways. Uh, I just said best player. I probably should have said best best with Malkin. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. When you think of Phil Kessel, you think of him not with Evgeny Malkin, but on on Benito's wing. And, and when you think of James Neal, you think of 2011-2012, where Evgeny Malkin had 50 goals, 109 points, won the Hart Trophy, won the Art Ross, won the Pearson Trophy, and James Neal was right alongside him. 81 points, 40 goals that season. That was James Neal's best season, and when you think of James Neal on the Pittsburgh Penguins, you think of him playing with Evgeny Malkin. So, uh, I voted for James Neal, but I can see, you know, if it's best player, Kessel, overall, historically, legacy-wise, much better player than James Neal. Like, he's about to hit 1,000 points. He's played 1,000 consecutive games. He's a great player. He's a great goal scorer. At the end of the day, he's the better player. But for those seasons, and when it comes to playing with Evgeny Malkin, I'll, I'll say James Neal. But I also, I, I do want to put a little bit of respect on Brian Rust's name because let's not forget, 2016, Rust and Malkin were one of the most dynamic portions of the Penguins' offense for that 2016 Cup run. Lest we forget... Game 7, Eastern Conference Finals, two goals from Mr. Brian Rust. Both dished by Evgeny Malkin. <clears throat> yeah, you're right. But I also still just look at that season that you brought up. You're right. That uh, 11-12 season, not only did Malkin and Neil put up those numbers, they that, that was the first line when Crosby wasn't in, guys. Yeah. like it, It's the way they were able to transform their game into a 50-40 and 40 goal season. And then follow it up the next year, which was the shortened season? Yes. Yeah. Which was the shortened season. And they did a lot of the same thing. Sure, the Crosby and Kunitz uh, combination picked up, but James Neal, in a shortened season, had 36 points in what? It was like 30, 46 games, something stupid like that? 48? I don't remember. I think it was 42 games or something. <clears throat> However many it was. Those two, again, did it in a shortened season and looked really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so they played very well together. Like I said, the friendship, the camaraderie, and just the ability to step up without Crosby in the lineup and make a difference to push that team into the playoffs. Um, that's the big part of it for me. Well, either way, it was fun to watch uh, both of those guys play with Evgeny Malkin because everybody looks good when skating next to Evgeny Malkin, uh, except for maybe Kasperi Captain, although he did look good uh, at one point. Uh, I believe it was his first full season in Pittsburgh. But uh, we won't belabor that point. We're going to go for today. That's going to do it for this one. We'll be back on Thursday to talk about Penguins against the Vegas Golden Knights and also break down what happened against the Carolina Hurricanes. That's going to do it for this one. Have a great week, Penguins fans.